Hey everyone, this is Eric. I have a quick disclaimer before we get into this episode. We had a recording issue occur with my microphone not being turned on correctly. So, you're gonna hear Curtis significantly louder than myself. We did feel the episode was still salvageable and worth the listen. Hopefully it's not too rough on your listening experience and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype of the health and fitness industry. Every week, we dig into a new topic and help you wade through the real information to make solid decisions on your fitness journey. And boom, we're live. (laughs) Welcome back. Here we go. I'm excited for today. Are you excited for today? Excited-ish. I'm feeling a bit hype about it. You like this one? Static stretching. Well, when we start talking about cutting through the hype, there's hype. There's hype on this one. There's a lot of hype. I think we're going to get a little bit of haterade coming at us on this one. Think so? Maybe. <laughs> Static stretching, the values of it. It seems to be prescribed like everyone prescribes it. Uh, pre-workout, post-workout, at home, you got 10 minutes, you have some time here. I just... It's sore, stretch it out. I feel like it. it's almost like somebody that is like the prequel to a movie in a world where everybody's tight you need to stretch more hmm. like how many people do you talk to it's like oh i need to stretch oh i'm sore from yesterday i need to stretch I, my like, favorite my honest favorite is this is years ago and i didn't even really know you but i was in a course you were teaching probably kettlebell or olympic lifting whatever and somebody is like oh yeah like you're like who here has tight hamstrings and like the whole class is like raises their hand and then you're like cool who here stretches and you know like maybe 50 percent of the class puts their hand down and the other 50 percent keep their hand up i was probably one of them and you're just like yeah so you stretch all the time but you're still tight why <laughs> why do you keep stretching i don't remember doing that but i love it yeah it was definitely like you're like oh, okay so you're stretching all the time you have tight hamstrings but it's not doing anything so what the f are you stretching for <laughs> Well, yeah. I probably wasn't trying to be a dick either. I was probably trying to be like, think about it. Just think. That's well, all. I was one of the ones who said I have tight hamstrings. One of the ones who said that I stretch all the time. Granted, that's probably more flexible than some, but still, like it didn't. I was trying to, I think, almost relieve the sensation of tightness. I'm like, oh, you got to reach a point where you can relieve that sensation of tightness, and it doesn't feel tight anymore. Specifically, even right now, like my left hamstring feels tighter than my right. Mm. But when assessed, they have the same range of motion actively. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the the sensation of tightness, we could take a whole hour talking about PS. The actual length of a muscle is more a neurological component than a physical or physiological component. So when somebody says, oh, I have tight hamstrings, often they believe that their hamstrings are physically shorter than somebody else's when really what's actually happening is their brain is holding tension there and usually it's to find some sort of stability yeah the brain's limiting range because in, in my understanding that it's it's scared to go into an increased range for fear of injury or non like not stable usually due to feedback at the joint yeah typically the hip But if the hip says, listen, I can't leverage anything to create extension of the leg outside of the hamstring, guess what takes the brunt? It's going to be a hamstring. This is weird. I read this in one of the articles, just tangenting, right? A little bit off on a tangent. One of the articles was like if somebody was um, anesthetized. Anesthetized? There you go. Thank you. Um, 
that they're like their body's not as tight. <laughs> no kidding. Did you like, or are you just aware of that? I'm assuming. Well, yeah, absolutely. Essentially, like it was something along the lines of like there's there's nerves in in the muscle tissue that that give feedback to the nervous system to say like these are the ranges you're allowed and anything beyond that is uh, a tight range and we we won't unlock it for you. But once they were anesthetized, can't say that. Placed um, under anesthetic, it's easier. Placed under, play okay. Yeah. It's easier that way. But yeah, like they had all these increased ranges and that I thought was weird. Oh yeah, you're down-regulating feedback. Yeah, and the body just opens up and you can just like all of a sudden you're a contortionist. Yeah, well, and becoming a contortionist is actually dangerous. So before we get too far into this, what are your wins for the week? I'm going to give you a real basic-ass win. Okay. I I pressed the 120s this week. I haven't pressed the 120 dumbbells on the bench for a long, long time because they didn't have them at the gym I was at. And found some 120s, went and gave it a a little pressy poo. And the end of the day, it's nice to just be like, you know what, I haven't lost everything I once had. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's been 12 years since I saw those, but they're still an option. You know, it was cool. So the boobs are still strong. At least one thing, boobies are still kicking. some good workouts i identified some i feel identified some weaknesses for my core for like my current goals right now i need a lot of like control in extension and like compression so i hammered that this week and i felt it real bad yeah i i was wondering how you were feeling because i was like that's a lot of compression work he's probably doit yeah I, mm. was, I was smashed for a while but it felt good all right Oh man, when you find those areas of opportunity, you got to dummy them. Yeah. That's good. Okay, so getting into stretching, let's talk about the the thing at hand here. So when we talk about static stretching, this is something that is culturally, it has cultural significance because it seems like people believe there's consensus on stretching good. Would you agree with that? Just in general, yeah. I feel like most people don't see any cons to it for the most part. Yeah, for the most part, when I talk to people about stretching, they're so involved and so interested in it that if I were to say something like, well, it might not be the best thing for you. It might not be all that you think. They they almost get fired up at me. It's like a belief system more so than, than an intervention of exercise. Yeah, it's one of those things that just, it's just hands down, just like, well, what could go wrong? It's, it's good for you, just generally. Yeah, so that makes me kind of excited about today. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you find it challenging, um, before you get mad at us, go ahead and and have a look at what we're talking about. This, I'm trying to come at this without feeling a certain way. I think to talk about it before we start, we can talk about our own biases. I actually like stretching. How do you feel about stretching? Yeah, I was going to say definitely the bias of, because from the research I did, there's definitely some negatives to static stretching, but I'm biased because I enjoy static stretching. I'm one of those people that I, I I would like to do it more because I think it feels good and I find it meditative. Yeah, I think the value for relaxation is actually quite high. And I want to start out by saying that because it's going to sound like I don't like it. But I actually do a lot of static stretching. And, and part of the reason that I do that is because I'm hyper. If I'm watching TV, I'm going to be like, oh, well, you know, I worked on my calves today. Let's, let's get a little range there. Yeah, hyperactive is one for me too, like doing tedious tasks like uh, just kind of doing in different positions and moving around one thing that i stumbled on that made sense to me when um, you link 
like static stretching to like a lot of yoga or things like martial arts is that it's not just about like them unlocking new positions but it was to stimulate vitality through a combination of mental and physical like focus which i thought kind of bundled it nicely in my mind yeah i think connection with the body and understanding what the tissue is doing and what you're asking of it working with your body has really really good value i do think that um so anyways if you're listening to this and you think that i'm against stretching i've done lots of yoga i'm not against yoga i've done lots of yoga i enjoy it um i actually really believe in the benefits of relaxation from stretching and connection actually not just sitting there relaxing um but i asked on my facebook a couple days ago you know what's the best way to increase um joint health and a lot of people were posting stuff about supplementation yeah, like really interesting. Oh, cod liver oil for sure. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he's like the leader of like a a really big and active um, trainers group for, for getting online clients and stuff. And I'm like, seriously, like the, the first thing you think about is cod liver oil. Not like I should learn how to move this joint. Not that I'm angry at him or anything, but I just didn't expect it. It's weird though when people are talking to you on your Facebook because maybe they make the assumption that you already have a bunch of their general answers so they're trying to give you unique responses. Yeah, I think they're trying to bait me and upset me. (laughs) 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 I don't know. I haven't let it trigger me yet, but I think they're trying. Some people for sure. Yeah. I don't think this guy was. I don't think I ever would think about supplements in regards to increasing flexibility. It's not like... Yeah. Like I said, I'm not mad at it, but I'm, I'm like, in yeah, we're going to get into this more. But so static. I feel like you've already given away your position on static stretching because you seem so apologetic at the start being like, don't be mad, don't be mad. Don't well, be mad. I'm, I'm not, it's not my position. It's quite literally what I found. Yeah. So and let's talk about the buckets. So when it comes to static stretching, the first thing that you need to think about, well, you don't have to, I don't care what you think about, but if you're going to look at static stretching as a, as a topic, if you want to pull it apart, you need to look at what are the purported benefits. Yeah, or just why people in general would want to stretch. The question is, why, why do you care? That's the first question. Yeah, why yeah. is that valuable to you? Mm-hmm. And in those courses where I ask people, like, who has who has tight this, um, who's stretching, and they all say, well, I do, but I'm stretching. It's like, well, <laughs> well, why? Like, can't we come up with a better answer? Maybe you need that and something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so really when it comes to the four things, you, you want to hit on the first? Um, yeah, for me, when I started digging into just static stretching in general, especially because a lot of my goals are gymnastic related, so there was a personal... Uh, investment in this for me I was concerned about like the static stretching increase my range of motion because it's something that I enjoy doing and I appreciate the meditative benefits and I need that added range of motion to do some of the skills I'm trying to do so I wanted to make sure it was actually worth my while I actually was invested in it being like yes increase my range of motion because if not I've been wasting so much time <laughs> over the years <laughs> okay so increased range of motion is the first bucket our, our second bucket is going to go to, you know, the amount of people that go on live on Instagram and they're like, you know what, you need to stretch because otherwise you'll get hurt. I, I actually have a significant challenge with statements like that because as soon as somebody says something like that, you'll need to be wrong once to make you look dumb when you're being absolute. And that's not giving anybody any trouble, but it's, if I say you can never do a lat pull down like this or you'll get hurt, then somebody just has to do that one time and be like, I didn't get hurt. To prove me wrong yeah. so that sort of absolute mentality i don't like but 
the connection between decreased risk of injury and static stretching is something that's given as fact and research i don't think backs that up and we're going to talk about what we found in that in a second but first category being range of motion second one being does stretching decrease injury yeah and i think a lot of people relate to injury just being like they think that if they're just generally tight that that's going to increase chance of injury because they don't have access to safer ranges or more adequate ranges potentially yeah i'm going to talk about what actually causes injury when we get there but we're not there yet so uh third bucket you hit it third bucket was performance and this one i kind of had a gut instinct and just passed biases on but like static stretching pre or post workout um does it actually aid in your performance does it help with your like elasticity your ability to explode your strength to lift maximal weights things like that yeah well and that's a bucket that's really interesting because even when i went to the dream team coaches clinic with Ilya illin and palavnikov and smolerts and klokov all of those guys were like, yeah, don't worry about stretching. Don't stretch for like 10 minutes at a time like some of these crazy studies, but should you stretch and prepare those ranges? Yes. So that one's going to be a fun one to talk about. And then kind of the last bucket that, that you run into is like, does it decrease pain or delayed onset muscle soreness? DOMS. Mm-hmm. Does it decrease that? And, um, you know, the the literature that we looked into, you know, some of it was it was almost too clear. Like you look at it, it's like, it can't be that clear. Um, but before we get into it, you know, when we look at research and we talk about looking at this, we're, we are not university professors, but (laughs) one of the things to look at as far as, you know, the value of information you're receiving, there's this pyramid. It's a pretty consistent thing that I think it's important to note. And it really starts out with, you know, the base level, the, one of the weakest kinds of research is just uh, background information or expert in opinion. That is not the highest level of information. And, and people often are like, well, look at this doctor on Instagram. He said this. And the first thing to understand is that is not that valuable. Right. And then like a case study would be the next. And then you get into like case controlled studies. Then you'd get into cohort studies. So like a group of people that perform X, Y, and Z and you get data from it. And then you get into randomized controlled trials and then systemic reviews or systematic reviews. And then you'd start getting into your, your top end of the pyramid is meta analysis or um, meta reviews where you're, you're actually looking at the breadth of what's out there and creating a a thesis and a conclusion based on what you find. So it's like, well, I found 28 studies and two of them said this and 30 of them said this. It's like, well, probably going to probably going to go on the side of 30. And usually they'll do that with a quality control tool. Um, so they'd say, well, you know, what level of study am I looking at? Is it a cohort study or what level of research is it at? How, what was the setup like? How good is it? So that's why meta analysis is really good. And that's kind of the stuff that we've been dominant on in these four buckets so you know having that background i think it just makes it like i'm not trying to be like well here's where i stand but i am trying to say if you're thinking about applying this to your own fitness here's here's some things to think about are you going to break down the little diagram of the meta-analysis that you showed me or do you want me to um well we can i just want like i think it would be valuable to explain it essentially what i saw when you showed it to me was it asked a question like does how many studies actually show like in regards to injury and i'm not saying this is actual data but in regards to injury how many of these studies actually showed pros versus how many showed cons and then it was just two tables side by side where it would show you like 
where there was nine studies saying that it's oh yeah we're we're gonna get into that in the uh, into the bucket yeah two studies saying that it was pro so you kind of got to take yeah, I think that particular um, setup, that study was, or that analysis said, okay, here's the amount for pro as far as performance in sports. Here's all the studies for negative impact, and then here's a few for no impact. Yeah, um, so it just, it, it breaks down all of those studies and categorizes it based off if it's valuable or not. Yeah, so we looked at a few, you know, one-off studies and looked at the setup of them and everything, but then the main thing that we're looking at here is meta-analysis is my reason for mentioning that. Mm-hmm. So, um, when we talk about this again, it's going to be one of these things where, uh, take the information and, and use it towards yourself and, and, uh, really think about the time that I have to exercise. Am I using it the best? I think that's what we're trying to do with this podcast in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So should we start with the first one there? Increasing range of motion. Yes. Increasing range of motion. You want to start out with this one, bud? Um, so basically from the studies that I was looking at, it does, um, it does increase range of motion. It's kind of a slow and grindy process. And in my opinion, most people won't reap the benefits from it because I doubt that most people do it consistently enough. I almost think of it as like a child brushing their teeth where it's like, Daddy, I did brush my teeth. But it's like, did you actually or did you just run your toothbrush under the faucet? Like to do it properly and taking, you know, like 10 to 20 minutes, two to three times a week versus just propping your hamstring up on a table and stretching it for 10 seconds and oh yeah I stretch like everyone I talk to says that they stretch but I feel like it's more that toothbrush mentality personally yeah I think so the first thing that I'd talk about when we talk about increasing range of motion when we talk if we were to just say straight up fitness or fiction you know does stretching increase range of motion I would I would tend to say fitness however the amount of input that you're going to have to put in that is vastly different than what people think yeah, the uh, the workload versus mm-hmm. reward didn't well, seem to be that high. And yeah, when we look at increasing range of motion, what's actually changing? We are telling your brain, "Give me some space." That's what we're doing. We're trying to speak with the brain. We're telling our brain that this, like this, this extra range is it's safe and it's comfortable. It's going to be okay. Right. And I found three studies talking about duration of stretching. And one of them was applying uh, five versus 15 second holds and then up to 30 seconds. And then I found one that was two minutes plus. And really, if you if you were to look at the neurological activity in the first 30 seconds, you're going to see more and more. And those studies actually mirror that. They're going to say, oh, up to 30 seconds is more and more valuable as far as range of motion the next day, which is great. But really, your brain doesn't really recognize that something's happening till about two minutes. Mm-hmm. And at that two-minute mark, all of a sudden, we start seeing this climb again. The challenge is who's going to stay there for two minutes, right? That's what YouTube's for. <laughs> so when, when we look at this whole thing, it's like, well, duration matters for sure. And then the other thing is how long does it stick around? How often do you have to train that? Now, if we're applying strictly static stretching, I would say that it's not going to stick around very often. Like it's not going to be there for long. In fact, most people, they stretch their hamstrings, they go for a walk, they come back and they're back to their starting point. Yeah. So does stretching increase range of motion? I would say absolutely. It does. Um, Are you putting in the time to do that? And more importantly, why the hell do you want more range of motion? Yeah, that's, that's really the kicker for me. 
I think it uh, increases range of motion and duration and how long and things like that. Bottom line is consistency is king. If you're stretching every day, four days a week for five years, you're probably going to keep those gains. But I just don't feel like most people are actually like gen pop average person, not that disciplined to static stretch all the right tissues for all the durations for that long of perfect consistency to reap long-term benefits and rewards. And is it worth it? Is it worth it to increase that range of motion? Yeah, what's the actual purpose? It should be for skill. But yeah, like for instance, if you're trying to get into a squat, but you always have to have your butt back, and you realize the limiting factor is ankle dorsiflexion, you improve your range in eversion, because the subtalar joint actually requires eversion with dorsiflexion, increase your range in eversion of the ankle and dorsiflexion of the ankle, um, then you all of a sudden can start strengthening that position, have a more upright squat that's less likely to put load on the spine. And especially for something like Olympic lifting, more upright means we can put more weight on our chest or overhead safer. Mm -hmm. So is there value there? Absolutely. For general population though, why, why this obsession with touching your toes? Yeah, like just being in a general, like a general gym facility for 10 years, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I need to get more flexible. I'm like, why? Well, I didn't feel tight, you know? Just generally like that. Never really got like crazy responses aside from like, you know, it was tight to try to put on the seatbelt or it's hard to tie my shoes. <laughs> Those are the generalities of like why people would want to stretch more. Yeah, it's like, okay, are you picking up your shoes with totally straight legs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I do, but... Yeah, I know, just be, just because you wanted to put up the vibe, though, right? Yeah. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you sound like Fergie. Um, <laughs> the big thing that we're looking for with flexibility is, like, what actually changes. So when we're in a static environment, what's going to change is your stretch reflex, mainly Golgi tendon stuff, but, you know really it's not tissue changes it's actually the amount that you're innervating that muscle and when you give that muscle something really uncomfortable it's likely going to back off because it's not as painful as it was mm -hmm. so you're increasing the amount that you can get deeper into a stretch and that might give you more range but has it really changed that tension at the muscle and the answer is usually no your stretch tolerance so you're increasing your stretch tolerance so you can go deeper but you're not really owning that which is why chances are it slowly disappears if you don't uh, own it. Yeah, well, and muscles are essentially like they're a type of liquid, essentially. Like they're they're malleable and movable. And, and one of the things that we're looking at with a muscle is after a period of stretching, uh, that's a deformation that it's adapting to. And it is likely going to want to return back to its its steady state, like its, its homeostasis, right? Yeah. Um. Coach uh, Eugene Teal had an interesting way of putting it. I might have told you this before, but he talked about like that that tight sensation you feel. He attributed to like nose blindness. If you walk into a house that just has freshly baked cookies, you're gonna be like, "Wow, those cookies smell delicious!" But after 10, 15 seconds, that scent goes away because that information is no longer valuable. It kind of just goes on the back burner. And he attributes that to kind of like doing static stretching, being like you'll dig into the stretch and be like, wow, this feels really tight. But if you sit there for two minutes, it's going to kind of dissipate a little bit and give you that extra range. But then if you stop that and you go back into the house and then the next day, you're still going to smell those cookies. I'm so glad that you said cookies and not an outhouse. <laughs> Why, would <you> <laughs> <laughs> Why would you say an outhouse? Well, I don't, I don't know. I was just outhouse. thought it is a really positive way. Glass half full type stuff, right? Sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to increasing range of motion, can you do it? But my biggest issue with this is why are you blanket wanting to increase range of motion? If you need it for something, that's great. But the one thing I will say straight up is that static positions will improve the static position. The, di the dynamic or active range is unlikely to change significantly as a result of having more passive range. I think people are also tied into this idea. I actually didn't get into this, so you can talk about it. Answer my questions. Um, that tight muscles would be responsible for poor posture, which we just didn't know. <laughs> and like my pecs are really tight and it's rounding my shoulders forward. Well, you know, posture is a really fun thing to talk about. We talked about it pretty significantly. We were we were gentle with it, but... Or people say their hamstrings are tight and that puts them in a posterior pelvic tilt and that's why they have no back pain. <sighs> Yeah, there'd have to be a variety of other things to happen to make that the case. Uh, P.S. Uh, if your hamstrings are pulling you into post-tilt, that means that your lumbar is yielding to them. Like when you see somebody do a lying hamstring curl, you see them arch their back at the very end. That's their lumbar anchoring their pelvis so that their hamstrings can pull the other direction. If your lumbar isn't capable of that, we got other issues, man. Like... <laughs> Well, my hamstrings win the battle every time. It's like, so instead of stretching the hamstring, why don't you do something that is more beneficial very quickly, which is train the lumbar to be stable. Mm -hmm. And like McGill and others are going to be like, yes, please do that. Like if you have an active straight leg raise that's beyond 90 degrees, oftentimes that is actually a risky scenario. And Curtis is saying Stuart McGill, who is? Um, he is a professor at the... University of which one is it? He's at the university. Is it McGill? Is it, which one is it? Specialist. Spine specialist Stuart McGill. He's world renowned for his research on the back, and he actually early on said, "Well, you shouldn't be in a flex position to lift." But then did more research and came out and said, "Listen, you can actually get tension there, but you better not change under load." Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, we have tons of examples of that like lifting atlas stones really high level power lifters and that especially kyphotic curve like hunched over curve in the upper back when they're deadlifting doesn't necessarily mean their lumbar is kyphotic um or sorry getting too flexed we'll keep it away from those words but doesn't mean that they're super flexed at the lumbar but even in some cases they are flexed but they have great tension and they don't change that position what that buys them is they don't have to go down so low to get the barbell yeah so that's the difference of like extension and flexion when you're lifting that change what would you call that change like if you're like if you're deadlifting you're slightly flexed and then like as you come up to the top you go into a little excessive extension what, what would you call that that shift uh you would call that like translation so like i'm changing the the doesn't matter what you call it. you can call it susan if it makes you happy I am i changing the position when i stand up i just remember you saying something about shearing oh yeah yeah so Essentially, if you think about like your vertebrae lined up on your discs, even if you have a little bit more load at the front and you keep it there, you're not bulging that balloon extra. But if you think about taking that vertebrae and tipping it, you're thinking about like your, your disc in between is kind of a balloon, right? It's, it's padding. So you're pressing tension on one way and then you're changing. You're like grinding across it and pushing it the other direction. And that, like, that translation or change in position really causes a lot of shearing forces, which is the real issue. And when I see people posting on Instagram, it's like, well, I got to push my glutes at the top of a squat. So they go from a neutral position into a flex position under load. It's like that axial load and you changing your spine is scary to me. Yeah. I want you to squeeze your glutes. I do. But your abs better meet them and hold you in the right position. Mm -hmm. 
or more accurately, your lumbar better meet your glutes so that you don't change your pelvic position. So when we, when we get into the, does it change your range of motion? I would say yes, but a, we should have a really identified reason why we want or need to change that. So a specific task or, or something that we're missing and B, we should be looking at, I don't want to get too far into the dynamic and, and um, active conversation yet, but we need to be careful how big of a gap we create between your passive range and your active range because the larger that gap is, the larger your injury potential, yeah. which leads into our second pillar. Let's, let's get it going, bud. Well, does static stretching uh, help reduce the chance of injury? Statistically speaking, non-significant. Um, when when we look at the the research on injury, you know, a lot of people think inflexibility is the big issue with injury. But if we were to talk about this as a global event, what causes injury? Well, we're putting force through a tissue, and the tissue can no longer take that amount of force. So the strength of that tissue can no longer sustain the load being placed on it, so it yields. Yeah, that's injury. Or Right. You, so this can come in two aspects. It can be, so Henrik, my weightlifting coach, used to often talk about amortizing force. Take force and put it over as many muscles as possible so you can lift maximal load. Makes great sense. Makes good sense for your joints too, P.S. That's so nice. I love it. Yeah. So much lately, but not as eloquent. Wow, and Henrik knows like 17 languages or something ridiculous. So he used to say, yeah, I think it was actually five, but... He used to say things in a way that was like, man, you know, amortize. I love that. But when we look at injury, it's going to be, okay, so that tissue yielded because it had too much load on it. Could that be repetitive? Yeah, of course it could be. And the other thing is it could be compensatory or com- consempatory. Or it could be something that's from, yeah, yeah, let's call it that. But if you're, if you're actually compensating for something consistently, you're putting load through a specific zone a lot. And again, that, that means that we're not amortizing force well across the whole joint. And it's really similar to the reason why you don't just go in and do 24 sets of bench press for your chest day. Mm-hmm. Because that one motor unit is going to get the crap beat out of it. But like when you see the, when you see like the techno gym chest press and the whole chest is highlighted, yeah. that's not how your muscle works. For this particular angle, that pec is going to use this, this tissue and this tissue and this tissue in one motor unit. Um, so, you know, that, that line, say if I'm lined up right across the middle of my pec, I'd be getting sternal type fibers. But even then with that particular angle, I'm only getting certain motor units. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the whole reason why you change angles and change types of exercise and, and short overload, long overload, all those sorts of things, because we don't want to just put all the force through one unit. And that's the same with injury. There's actually an a way larger risk of being injured due to asymmetry because it creates a whole bunch of spiraling all the way up the chain. So let's say that you have an asymmetry of your left leg to your right leg. That's going to cause rotations at the leg, at the pelvis, at the T-spine. It's going to put your shoulders at risk. Like literally, it's all the way up the chain is going to be changed. So when we look at changes in injury, there's actually not a notable difference in injury due to stretching before the event. Like as a warm up, it's like you hear everyone saying, oh yeah, you got to get your core temperature up. You got to stretch. And I actually, 
I see a lot of people that do that. They live by that and they're not super flexible and they don't perform super well. So the bias towards doing that, that's why I said that at the course. I'm like, okay, how many of you are stretching? How many of you it's, it's got you to where you were hoping and dreaming to get to? Okay, so maybe that can be part of the solution, but maybe it's not the whole solution, mm -hmm. right? Is that fair? Yeah. As far as injury, what's, what's your experience with this? Um, well, we were talking offline, like, so my back was injured 10 years ago. And, uh, at this time of the course, I probably was in back pain, which is why I lifted my hand up saying, uh, that I'm stretching my hamstrings. But during that back pain, I was, uh, definitely doing a lot of static stretching and foam rolling to try to get some relief. And I had like some sciatica issue and things going on, but, uh, I did yoga to try to help it. And no matter what position I put myself into, I always actually came out feeling worse. The thing that actually made me feel better was actually just lifting weights again in the ranges that uh, were acceptable for me at the time. Doing like a weightlifting session seemed to just realign me and put things back in order versus stretching kind of just pissed everything off. Well, and again, alignment like that, that conversation is really interesting because like, is there a set realignment? When people, I go to the chiropractor once a week to get realigned. It's like, cool, is everything fixed? Well, no, I go every week. I'm like, uh. It's another weird one for me, though, just dissecting things. Like, when you talk about asymmetry, like, I said at the start of the podcast, like, my left hamstring is noticeably feels tight, often, much more so than the right hamstring. But strength-wise, they're relatively equal, and active range of motion, they're relatively equal. But the left one always feels tight. Yeah. Well, I would really be interested to see what uh, your ranges around the hip were and strength levels accordingly. I would really be interested to see that. We might have to play with that. But factor or fitness or fiction, um, s static stretching decreases your risk of injury. I would say fiction. That is a, a total fiction. Yeah, I didn't find any studies to say, you know what, this is this is definitely the thing. I found a few that were like, there was a non-statistical difference that it could, which would be like small percentages. Would you say injury prevention being like, if you had a, a large discrepancy between one leg and the other leg and you brought balance back through a year of static stretching, do you think that would help? Well, this gets into the, the topic of where we're going to be going next, but my position on static stretching is that it is part of a greater toolbox mm -hmm. so if it unlocks a range that doesn't mean you're winning the win is actually unlocking that range and then learning how to use it yeah. so static stretching alone i don't think will decrease injury that combined with some other stuff we're going to talk about in the coming weeks um yeah and and really the methodology that i use i often come back to kind of the frc type modalities and and moving into the way that n1 teaches execution to actually own um, specific tissues that is going to be the where the money shot is in a lot of ways so, so on to performance static uh, stretching in curiosity like doing static stretching by the pre or post workout this is one of my favorite ones because we found a ton of research on it in my experience I think those who do static stretching pre-warm-up, in my experience, is typically martial artists. I see it a lot. In martial arts, we did a lot of static stretching. Um, and then post-workout, 
in regards to increasing performance i feel like actually i saw again this is just a bullet point stupid quote but it was like 80 percent of coaches typically program static stretching for their clients at the end of the workout which almost seems relatively legit for me whether the clients actually do it is one thing or the other but uh <laughs> most coaches actually have some form of static stretch at the end like oh yeah you just did a big chest day we'll go do some some foam rolling stretch x blah 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 yeah when we get into foam rolling i'm really excited to talk about that research i'm not going to get into it too much today but I think a lot of the people programming really haven't looked into it well enough yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I'm, I am not absolved or taken out of that mix. Like as I program things, I am getting better at understanding what it is and where it is. But you know, you have to have a starting point. So you have somebody that has say a CanFit Pro cause it's an easy thing to think about. CanFit Pro is a two day certificate and then you have to do a test and you have to have somebody kind of follow you around. In my experience, what I see is that that is not near enough time to really understand the stimulus that you're applying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it should or shouldn't be that I'm not putting that on trial here, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, what can we expect as far as the amount of information we have? Like somebody goes to see my doctor. When I talk to him about exercise, like, I don't know, that's your craft, not mine. And no, he can't be expected to know all of it. My neurologist, he says the same thing. He's like, that's not my can of worms, man. Um, so really, when we start looking at this, it's like just because it's done often doesn't mean that that's the thing. That doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. doesn't mean it's best. So when we get into sports performance, the meta-analysis that I found had some really fantastic charts in it. And what they did was they identified a whole bunch of studies and they broke them into sections because there was a lot of them. So when we talk about performance... Um, the first one that I'm going to talk about is um, strength and power dominant activities. And just to like ram this point home, the reason I thought this meta-analysis was cool is because prior to the podcast, I was looking up individual articles to see what their response was and if it was actually beneficial or not. Yeah. I would read like two or three articles on the little pieces, like on the little image you're pulling up right now. There's what, like 15 articles in this one category. So it it really quickly summarizes them. It doesn't give you excruciating detail, but... It really just kind of uh, lays down the yes or no answer. Yeah, so I really like that when you find a good meta-analysis. And it doesn't absolve you from needing to to look into the studies and the setups and whatever. And when you click on them, it'll actually take you to them, which is nice. But, you know, one of the big things that we're looking at when we look at performance of strength and power events, um, we had one study that's done since 2000, so 2002, to 2021 it was in 2011 and it had one that talked about positive effects um, in performance after static stretching and you can you can look at that that's 2011 we have studies from 2003 all the way up to 2017 about negative effects of stretching previous and there's 19 of them so one positive versus 19 negative outcomes for studies And then there was a couple that just said, you know what, there's no market difference. And it was, there was six of those. Can you just confirm this is pre or post-workout stretching? This is pre. Pre Pre-stretching. This is pre, yeah. So, yeah, increases on performance by stretching afterwards would be a really interesting thing. But, yeah, what they were doing there is, is being like, okay, so is there significant reason that we should say, you know what, you should probably do this. And what they came out with was, we can't say that. We can't. And then they did a very similar thing with speed and agility. 
and they had one negative, um, same per or one positive, sorry, same person, and then there was uh, looks like thirteen negatives and another five no effects yeah. as far as studies go. So that would be a pretty staunch. Um, don't think so. And then if you get into the final one, we're looking on endurance dominant activities and we have zero positive effects. Uh, like n not a single study that w that met their criteria for quality that said, you know what, there's positive effects in endurance athletics, but we had six negative and six no effects. So when we look at performance, I don't think that stretching is, is something, a lot of these studies are doing a lot of stretching. So like a classic setup was like, I think they were applying 10 minutes of static hamstring stretching and then they tested one rep max squat. Mm. I'm like, I can't imagine that would be a good thing. I don't want to do that. Well, especially because the, the outcome, what you're looking for from the hamstring is not more length. In the hamstring when you're squatting, because you are flexing at the hip, um, but you're also flexing at the knee, the hamstring stays a very similar length. It doesn't shorten up significantly. Yeah. So creating more length is likely taking away your dynamic stability from that end, which you really do need. Mm -hmm. So I think the setup is part of the issue there. So as far as performance, I'm not one of these people that's going to say, you know what, you need to do, you shouldn't do any stretching. I'm not that guy. Oh, I got, I got a good one. Does a lion need to stretch before it kills a gazelle? Oh my God, No, but they they stretch when they wake up, though. You know, you do see that. Yeah. So Francis, Francis stretches when he wakes up. Yeah, Francis is Eric's cat. He's, he's a, a he's a legend. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me where Francis is. But you'll notice when Francis stretches, he like gets into that position, opens it up, and walks away. He doesn't do thirty What's seconds. Like this for you on YouTube. Oh yeah. Oh, oh man, I wish I was sitting <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> so there is not literature to significantly support stretching before performance i think getting into ranges that you're going to use is still a good idea myself anecdotally i think that's still a good idea should we be holding that for a long period of time i don't think so i think that goes away from though like what people's picture of generic static stretching is in their mind it's not like going into the positions they're about to use it's like just stretching the hamstring generically for a long period of time not necessarily going into your squat yeah so when it comes to static um as far as injury prevention and performance in increases the answer is nope fiction fiction okay so the next one is really interesting pain and soreness so the pain articles that i found a lot of them were like coming back to back pain and things like this and there were some negative effects of stretching the back mm -hmm. there there were and especially because if you think of the average person sitting in a slouched position and then they're like oh my back is stiff it's like well you sat in a slouched position for like eight hours today you know what I should do? I should stretch it more. Should be a lengthened position. Correct. And then what do they do? They lengthen their back more. more. Yeah. And how many people have you dealt with that are like, well, I have back pain. I should stretch it. Yeah, pretty much everyone. And if you ask that person, how does it feel after? Oh, it feels better. Like I don't notice the pain as much. If you ask them, how long does that last? The answer is usually like short periods of time. Yeah. So you've literally created pain. It's it's like when you're experiencing pain. We've talked about this before. And I grab your pinky and break it to the side. The major pain. Theory. Yeah. Let me give you something for that pain. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's kind of what it is. But I think if I can just touch on the pain and soreness, I think it, people see it in two different lights. When people think about back pain, I think primarily a lot of people go to sciatic nerve uh, 
sensation, which in my opinion is different than pain. It's definitely uncomfortable, but it's not necessarily pain. It's discomfort, it's tingling, numbness, weird sensation and people static stretch and it gets better but everyone i know who did static stretching for that sciatic nerve it always came back yeah relatively quickly and then when we talk about soreness that's like delayed onset muscle soreness you know you tore your pecs up and uh, you're going to do a bunch of pec stretches if you statically stretch your pecs is that going to speed up recovery or just aid in the soreness in general make them less sore yeah and from the stuff that i found no changes in delayed onset muscle soreness which makes sense to me because like the stimulus that you're applying what does it do understand the stimulus first i'm going to elongate this muscle by putting external force on it okay so is that clearing the oxidative damage that's been done or um the mechanical damage that has been done or you know waste byproducts like what are we actually asking for from that stretch the answer is it's not going to do that it might help with some circulation a little bit, but the studies that I found had nothing to say about, you know what, it's actually getting better. I think Gen Pop just likes to stretch, like even myself, if my, my chest is all roasted or my lats or my triceps, like if they're roasted from DOMS, it feels like that range is restricted. And if you kind of just open it up and just give it some awareness for, you know, 10, 20 seconds, it kind of feels like you get that range back and then you don't pay attention to it again and the range is reduced and then you're sore, but you kind of fix the awareness for that short period of time. It's just the band-aid. It is. Band-aid doesn't do shit. <laughs> yeah, the band-aid is, is a challenge for me. For delayed onset muscle soreness, you'd be much better to just, you know, the day of your workout, usually you're not going to have DOMS. You're not going to be sore yet. The next day, you'd probably be better to do something like cardio to increase circulation because we know that increases circulation. Your heart rate will go up. By definition, you're increasing circulation. Yeah, and just speaking on that, just in generalities, I worked with a lot of clients who were in between the ages of like 50 and 80 when I was at the gym, and even still currently right now. A lot of them, like if you hit them real hard in a workout, a lot of them were not sore the next day because they were often doing cardio then like the next two days, and their soreness, like report levels were very low versus like, in my opinion, this this generation of like 20 to 25 where they just hit the gym and don't do any additional cardio or anything like that like they were always the ones who were like oh my god i'm so sore oh this is destroyed but i could like run a 60 year old through that same workout who did cardio the next two days and their soreness reports were very low yeah well you know what anecdotally like even for myself i can train leg i squatted damn near every day for eight years Mm -hmm. and what i would find is if i was sore and i went and did light work um, like even in the West Side barbell method, they'll do they call the repetition method. So they're like, okay, fifty percent of your good morning, I want you to do that for two minutes. Mm. That'll get some circulation in those tissues, yeah. and you're targeting tissues. So even better than cardio is well, I'm actually going to put circulation to the tissues that are sore. Um, what's that going to do? It's going to increase nutrient partitioning. It's going to bring all sorts of stuff that they need there, and um, with the blood flow, it's really going to help. Uh, clear away things that need to be cleared and, and help with the increased activity of the lysosome and the ribosome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the end of the day, when we look at pain and soreness, there are better methods. And we will get into that. We didn't get too far into that today, but out of the four buckets, fitness or fiction, stretching can help you increase range of motion. Fitness. Stretching before your athletic event or workout decreases injury 
performance. Your performance goes up when you stretch before. Fiction. And it decreases soreness from your workout, either DOMS or decreases pain from injury. Also fiction. Yeah. The one thing that I will say is when we start dealing with pain, especially chronic pain, if you're dealing with a quality practitioner, uh, whether that's a trainer or a therapist, and they identify, listen, here's the movement discrepancy, and this area is good to stretch. It's not, oh, my back is sore, I'm going to stretch my back. It's like, yeah, you know what? Your back is used to being in a lengthened position. I actually want you to uh, stretch out your abs and, and re-engage into extension. Yeah. That's when I think you'd see some specific changes in pain. So I'm not going to say fiction on pain, actually. I'm going to say it's actually fitness on, on pain, but there needs to be a really nice targeted solution. Mm -hmm. And as far as DOMS, I'm going to say total fiction. You know, like shotgun approach? Just stretch everything. <laughs> <laughs> I like the... Um, something that I just wanted to say we've like hammered in on the goal or like why are you stretching why are you stretching but like unless you're frustrated because you lack sufficient range in a joint to perform a specific task chances are you don't really need to be more flexible just for the sake of being more flexible yeah really identifying what do I want and is this going to be the right path to take those those are two things what do I want is this going to be the right path to take I have a client I posted a couple weeks ago, one week ago, that was like, listen, I've been training for years, and this is the first time in memory that I can actually cut my own toenails. Yeah. And the little stuff's only little as long as you can do it. Mm. When you can no longer do it, it's a big deal. So does that person need the ability to get her hands to her feet? Yeah, you should. I think humanistically, you need your ability to put your hands to your feet, to take care of your damn self, right? So it's not something that is negligible. It's not something that doesn't matter. It only is something that doesn't matter if you can do it. Mm -hmm. So should that be there? Yes. How did we get that person there? Not with static stretching. Mm -hmm. That might have been part of the toolbox. I will tell you, spoiler alert, it was part of the toolbox. But it's not the whole thing. Yeah. So in this series, as we go through this, if you're still here, um, this is number one. When we get through and we identify the tools in the toolbox, you're going to notice that each one of them might not have super humongous value. It's not going to be like, okay, well, this one just kills it and whatever. But there is one or two main standouts. I've started looking ahead at the next piece and doing some research, and the articles are very telling on a few of them and very, very positive. Mm -hmm. But just because that's the case, it doesn't mean that you're going to negate the rest of the tools. Yeah, you're not just going to Totally. And when you have a screwdriver and you need to pound a nail, that sucks. Yeah. So <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, even though we're saying, listen, this might not be the case, this might not be the case. Here's the meta-analysis we found on this. Here's, here's what we're talking about with just straight up static stretching. That doesn't mean this shouldn't be part of a larger um, approach. And when we get into those, some of them, it does have static stretching as part of a larger approach. And there's really significant results associated with it. Do you do static stretching, sir? I do. Absolutely. Every day, twice a day? Mm, not that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you do it, like, what, what do you do? Do you do, like, once a week? I probably do static stretching, like, three to five times a week. And, you know, the bouts would be very short. Yeah. Like, specifically, if I'm working on something, it's because I need a range. And 
I've identified why I would want to go after that range. For example, I can't really left my left leg. I have a hard time with that leg, and there's a variety of reasons behind that that I don't want to get too far into, but trying to get that knee up is important for me. Little things like putting on my shoes without having to sit down. Um, So I find improvements in that when I actually change the range of motion and then actively work on lifting it and integrating that. So that specific zone, I train a lot. But again, it comes back to goals. Like what are your goals and what what is your belief system around that? Because if I have somebody that's going to train four times a week, I get really excited. If those four times a week are an hour long and they're spending a whole hour out of their total four in static stretching, I just worry about the effectiveness of what they're going to accomplish. And I want to put in the most effective tools in there. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time um, just being there just because somebody said static stretching is a good thing. Yeah, what was there? There's this terminology you might know. I think it was in like Tim Fair, one of Tim Ferriss's book, where he talks about like doing, doing the minimal amount of work to get the maximum amount of benefit, and not like reaching that apex where it's like you're doing more, but the the benefits are waning. Yeah, it's it's kind of along the lines of doing a really great job at something that should have never been done is one of the biggest follies. Yeah, makes no sense. So. The big thing I'm saying here is, you know what, is there value there? I think there is, but it's been vastly overemphasized. It's just an easy answer. It's not the right answer all the time. Yeah. And people think that I do a lot of static stretching because I'm a relatively flexible guy in some positions, but I feel like even I'm one of those toothbrush people that kind of just like, oh, I'll just dab on some stretches for two minutes and then I stop or I just kind of hit it quickly for five minutes at the end of my workout and then I stop, just run my toothbrush under the water and yeah, brush my teeth. Motion is lotion, baby. <laughs> well, well, static stretching has some fitness, also has some fi- fiction. Yeah, just over a quarter fitness. 25% fitness. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was closer to 33% because performance, we talked about... Uh, there can be a part of it that's that's fitness. So. Where are we going next episode down the rabbit hole? <sighs> next episode, I think we should get to the big counterpart. So if, if we're talking right now about straight up passive, next time we can start talking about active, um, active and dynamic mobility. So if we start talking about active mobility, we have to keep the dynamic component out of it in some ways, and we need to keep the PNF out of it because those are separate topics but they will be kind of discussed but if we're doing passive today we should probably do active next day are you kind of with me on that so you're digging more into your like frc route mm, you're doing a spoiler alert again the the functional range conditioning route is including many strategies so i think we'll try to leave the the pnf side of things out we'll leave out a lot of the the stuff we're just going to go for like straight up active drills um uh, and a good example would be something like uh, a prayer or a, a book opener where we're just opening up the T-spine and then return. And you can tell that I moved because I got really quiet there. Yeah. But yeah, just active leg movements. Sweeps. Yeah, sure. Leg sweeps, things that we're moving through a range. That's what we're going to be looking at next time. I think that's going to be hard to find things that are specifically that. So there's going to be some other pieces come into the puzzle. But really doing passive and then doing active as an umbrella, we can get deeper into that after that. So I think that makes good sense. Cool. So yeah, if you're still here, um, thanks for joining us and definitely leave us a review. Uh, The reviews are a big deal and we really appreciate it when people take the time to do that. Yes, and hopefully
<laughs> and next time you can get your dynamics on. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate your support. If you enjoy this episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe, follow, and throw us a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts.